All right. Well, good morning. 11 o'clock sneaks up on us, isn't it? All right. Well, welcome to worship. We are glad that you are all here gathered with us today. We do have several announcements. Um, first of all, as always, in your bulletins, we have a tariff portion. If you're a guest, please fill that out and put it in the offering plate as it goes by. We'll have a record of your attendance. And the yellow side, it, there's a place at the bottom for your prayer request. We would love for you to pray, for, write any prayer requests you have. We'll pray for you at staff meeting, as we always do, and it's a blessing and a privilege to do that. Uh, so anything you'd like to put there to, for us to pray for, we would love to. Uh, in your bulletins, there is a minister of music survey as well. This would be a nice, easy way, if you've not done this, just to fill this out. You can put an offering plate, although it might be pretty big for our offering plates, or you can leave it on the back table. Is that right, Tim? So if you fill this out, you can leave it on the back table, and then they will get to the uh, team to assemble those surveys. So make sure you do that. Um, couple other announcements. September 16th, we are having a church-wide cleanup day in anticipation of our 40th anniversary. So anybody who is available is welcome to come. It's starting at 8.30 in the morning to about 12.30. You don't have to be there right at 8.30. Whenever you can come that day, come and help out. We would love to have your participation. Also, and I hope it is, there is a 40 days of prayer back there. Sign up sheet, Tim. There is? Okay. 40 days of prayer, we are trying to get a a, a person or a family to pray each day for the 40 days leading up to our 40th anniversary. So I happened to pass by the the list on the way over, and there was two people so far signed up. It starts September 6th, so we need people to sign up today, if possible, to get those first few days. And then we would like to have a different family praying each day for the 40 days up until our anniversary. So that's an exciting way to be a part of this prayer ministry and this 40th anniversary celebration. One other thing I wanted to draw attention to before I ask a couple other people to come up. We uh, have had a couple good meetings about our Wednesday night children's programs and our Wednesday night adult programs, as well as our new Sunday programs. So we have a lot of changes coming. We're going to talk more about those specific changes next Sunday, so don't get too confused. But what we do need is we have RAs, GAs, mission friends. We're having an adult service on Sunday night, as well as we are starting Awanas on Wednesday night, as along with some adult Bible studies on Wednesday night. We'll talk about those more later. We've got everything pretty well taken care of except for Awanas. We really need some help with our Wednesday night Awanas program. It's going to be a new program reaching families in our community, hopefully getting families to be involved here at Mechanicsville Baptist, but we really need some adult leaders. Specifically, we need small group. There's, there's a large group, a small group, and a recreation time in Awanas. We need some small group leaders. Uh, for, the, for the younger age group, we need a couple. We need a recreation helper, and we need some, uh, some assistance in the classes. These are people who are listeners, who help with Bible memory verses and things. So anybody of any age can help. And we really could use some participation, about four to five people for sure. We're going to meet one more time this Wednesday at 6 p.m. over in the uh, youth area, uh, uh, second floor of the Family Life Center. This Wednesday, 6 p.m., I would really love for you to come and say, I want to be a part of helping out with our children's ministry on Wednesday nights, and we will help get you equipped on how you can help.
So Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, we're going to have an Awanas meeting, and we would hope for four or five people to step up for that. Okay, let's have Elf Karen come on up and talk about our Operation Christmas Child. Merry Christmas. It's Operation Christmas Child time. Mechanicsville Baptist Church has grown our Operation Christmas Child ministry tremendously over the last 10 years. You've wrapped and packed shoeboxes. You've included the requested $7 shipping for each box, and you've prayed for the child receiving your box. About three years ago, some of you came to me with the suggestion that we collect shoebox items all year and pack shoeboxes together. We could have ordered the official red and green shoeboxes from Samaritan's Purse and just and pay for the shipping of, of those boxes to us, but reports directly from those on the mission field indicated how much the plastic boxes are used and appreciated by the entire family. So we felt God directing us to use the plastic shoe boxes for the 200 boxes that we had collected for all year. Did you wonder where they came from? Kroger agreed to sell them to us at a reduced rate, and two people made donations to cover the cost of those 200 plastic shoeboxes. Then, you haul the filled tubs to the waiting tables in the Family Life Center. You arrange the thousands of items on the tables according to age and gender. And I even had children come up to me during packing party and say, I don't think that this pink stuffed animal goes on this boy's table. Please move it to the appropriate table. You thoughtfully packed, labeled, and rubber-banded each box. And then you moved them all here to the sanctuary. And then you added more shoe boxes that you packed at home. Many of those were your wrapped shoe boxes where you were cleaning out. And they were so colorful and pretty. We excitedly counted to see if we met our goal. Sometimes yes and sometimes no. 218 boxes, 340, and last year our highest ever, 380. Even when we didn't meet our goal, we knew that each shoebox gift was an opportunity to offer a needy child gifts to make their little lives better, to give them hope, and to give them the opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ. We transported the boxes to New Bethesda Baptist, who boxed them into official large boxes and tractor-trailer hauled them to the warehouse in Charlotte. Each box is then inspected by volunteers to make sure that you've not forgotten and included something liquid or something that will break or medicine. They are again boxed into large shipping boxes. And they fly, boat, bus, camel their way to the children. And all of that costs money. That is the reason for the requested $9 shipping for each shoebox. 
Yes, the price increased from $7 to $9. What can I say? They didn't ask me. But I have to trust that Samaritan's Purse decision as they organize this huge worldwide endeavor is what needs to be. Some folks have given funds in the past years to help with the shipping cost of these 200 boxes that we all pack together. This year, we believe that we need to come much closer to the $1,800 requested shipping amount. Now, they are certainly still going to send our shoe boxes, even if we don't have that large a donation. But we want to be faithful in doing the best we can. So in September, we ask that you contribute toward these shoebox shipping. Please make your gifts to Mechanicsville Baptist Church with the notation Operation Christmas Child Shipping. And Jean will put those amounts in a separate account so that she can write a big check in November to Samaritan's Purse. So that's what we're collecting for in September. Not as much fun as dolls and balls, but very much a part of this mission effort. May God bless you as you participate in this foreign mission effort that brings Jesus to places in the world that may not be open to him in any other way. Thank you. Good morning. Throughout the Bible, the Lord reminds his people to tell all generations of their Lord's wonderful works. So with thanksgiving for the past, with joy in the present, and with hope for the future, Mechanicsville Baptist Church will celebrate its 40th anniversary on Saturday, October the 14th, and on Sunday, October the 15th. Hopefully, most of you have seen in the touchstone We've been advertising Save the Date for some time, so it's going to be Saturday evening, October the 14th, starting at 7 p.m. We'll be in the Family Life Center. We'll have some entertainment from the Worship One uh, Praise Band. We'll have a narrative that you will enjoy with a video, and we'll have a tasting. And then on Sunday morning, we'll have one worship service at 11 o'clock here in the sanctuary. You won't want to miss that Sunday. Invite all of your family members. Invite all of your friends. We're going to have past former staff members here. We're going to do all we can to fill this sanctuary so that we have to bring extra chairs in here, okay? We're not going to have anybody counting Monday that particular Sunday morning. We're going to have a team to come in on Monday morning and count the money. We're not going to have nursery from our church membership over there doing nursery. We will have nursery provided but it's going to be come in from the child care workers, okay? So we're not going to have any reason why any church member should be anywhere else but in this sanctuary praising God, lifting up God, okay? The anniversary team would love to see you and all your family and friends in attendance as we celebrate God's faithfulness to our church. Thank you.
Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for the day in which you have provided, which we have gathered here together to honor and glorify and worship the name of Jesus. So God, we pray that this service, this day, would be uh, centered on you, Lord Jesus, that we would be delighted to be in your presence, and that your Holy Spirit is welcome here as you uh, work in all things. We thank you for being in control. We thank you for uh, your presence in the midst of everything that goes on in this life, and we just treasure you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. didn't realize I was calling the hymnal. <laughs> hymn. What is our number? 245. Everyone, let's stand together as we sing number 245 together. Number 245 at Calvary.
When Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room, certainly suffering was on the mind of the Savior. He had spoken to his disciples on many occasions and told them that there would come a time that he would suffer and that he would die. And he would do so for them and for us. But like so many people, even today, the idea of suffering was more than they could bear. More than they wanted to take in or understand. And so there were times along the way that the disciples tried in vain to talk Jesus out of what he had to do. But in that room on that night, in the presence of one who would betray him and one who would deny him three times, he gave them something to remember him by. Something that would recall the great suffering that he endured for them. He took symbols of his body and of his blood. And he gave it to his disciples as a reminder of the great price paid for sin. And so on the night in which he was betrayed, before his crucifixion, he took bread, and when he had broken it and blessed it, he gave it to his disciples and said, For as often as you eat this, remember me. After the bread, he took the cup and said, This is the new covenant in my blood, blood shed for you. For as often as you drink it, remember me. Paul reminds us, For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show forth the Lord's death. Until he comes. Abide with me. Hymn number 88. Will you stand as we sing?
Good morning, everyone. It's pleasant to see everybody here on a Labor Day weekend. I hope that everybody's been having a good time and they will remember the Lord and everything they do. Please, at this time, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gifts that you give us, the gift of life, fellowship, and be able to be in a place like this, to be able to give us the communion necessary, to be able to understand that you are the God of all gods. Please, at this time, accept our offerings and our tithes, and I pray that you uh, put them to good use, and thank you for all the gifts that are yours and from your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.
today has been set aside as a national day of prayer and uh, remembering those who are suffering in Texas. And so we want to pause for a moment before we have uh, our prayer um, to uh, have a silent time of prayer for those who have been affected so adversely by this terrible tragedy that I know that, like me, you have been watching unfold uh, before your eyes. So let's bow for a moment of silent prayer, and then I will lead us in closing. Gracious Lord, as we abide in you, we fully expect that you abide in us because this is what you have promised. We pray, Father, this morning, particularly for those who have been affected so adversely by the hurricane in Texas. Lives have been turned upside down. People have been displaced. They have no home. And they are hungry. And yet we are thankful, Father, that at this very moment there are people making their way to Texas. And there are people already there who are representing you as they go and as they work. I pray, Father, that as we lift these people before you, that you will work in their lives. (coughs) Also, Father, for those who have suffered loss of loved ones, we pray that you will bring them comfort and assurance. We are thankful, Father, that as we pray on behalf of those who have need, we know that you are already there and you are present with them. We pray, Father, that your hand would be upon them. We're thankful that as we remember that there are people all over this country remembering and praying. Hear the fervent prayers of your people. We pray, Father, for our church and the ministries that we do here. We pray for the new programs that are starting in a couple of weeks. We pray, Father, that lives will be touched and transformed and that people will be compelled to be of help. We are grateful, Father, that you give us this place to serve. And we pray that we will serve faithfully before you. We pray for those who are sick and for those who are recuperating from illness. We pray that your hand be upon them. Bless them. Encourage them. Bring healing to their bodies. We pray, Father, for peace in our nation and around the world. 
We know, Father, that peace can only come as we submit ourselves to the Prince of Peace. Grant to us, Father, the wisdom to impart this peace. We pray, Father, for our missionaries and their work around the world. They go, Father, and we stay here, but we pray and we give in order to support them. Bless them. We're thankful, Father, for your word. For in your word we find encouragement and hope, admonishment and wisdom. Help us to listen for a word from you this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our scripture lesson this morning is found in Job chapter 1. Under the heading, The Problem of Suffering, timely for our day, in light of the tragedy in Texas, 
We are all probably pretty familiar with the story of Job, but it is always worth stopping and taking another look as we deal with the problem of suffering. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. In December 1958 a play opened on Broadway that had only two letters for a title, J.B. The play had several handicaps to overcome. First, the newspapers were on strike and not a single notice was printed of its appearance. Second, it did not have any of the elements that seemed to make a play successful. Comedy, romance, music, and dancing. 
Third, the play was written in verse and dealt with a biblical theme. Nonetheless, every performance of J.B. was sold out. Why did people take such interest in the play? The answer is simple. J.B. is short for Job. And Job is the book in the Bible that deals directly with the agonizing problem of human suffering. The story of Job hits people where they live. Therefore, insights into the story of Job is of interest to most all people. There was a man, sets the pattern of an individual's experience. Some believe that this book is written, or it was a parable. Even if the entire book is viewed as parabolic, the problem still stands. The problem revolves around one man as a man and not as a representative of all humans. The story of Job is an ancient one. Some say Job lived during the age of the patriarchs. More than likely, the book of Job was written during a time in Judah's national suffering. The story of Job gives us several insights for living in our own time. The story of Job, if we stop and think about it, is frightening to us because it reminds us that no matter how much we love God, no matter how much we fear God, no matter how much in our minds and in our hearts we attempt to bargain with God in the X and Y factor, if I do X, God will do Y. It's not how it plays out in this story. Because it's very clear to us in this story that God has a high opinion of Job. Job was singled out in the heavenly court. Job was told, or it was told of Job by God that have you seen my servant Job in the world? There is like no other man. God had a high opinion of Job. But I would venture to say that God has opinion, a high opinion of all of his creation because he loved us enough to send his son to die so that we could be redeemed and live with him. Job was characterized by four qualities. He was blameless. Second, Job was upright. He was a straightforward person who was faithful and loyal to the highest and best. He was a well-integrated person with moral devia- without moral deviation. The two terms show Job as a man who had reached a peak of moral soundness. Job was one who feared God. He was one whose style of life was actuated by his fear of God. And fourth, he was turned away from evil. Turning from evil is a natural corollary to fearing or revering God. Wisdom thought would indicate that fear of God was the way of avoiding evil. But we see very clearly here that that is not the case. Is it interesting to note that after Satan left God, the verse is very clear for us. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, and do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. To remove yourself from the presence of the Lord is to set yourself up for trouble. And Satan brought a whole whirlwind of trouble to Job. Let's look at this story briefly this morning and see what we can learn about suffering. First, life brings many baffling questions, doesn't it? 
The story of Job is a baffling one. Reading the circumstances of Job does raise questions. The Lord described Job, there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and runs or eschews evil. Job was blessed with a great family. Perfectly balanced, if you will, in the tradition of the Jews. Three girls and seven sons. He was further blessed with great wealth. That Job was the greatest was meant in terms of possessions, personality, position, and quality. His holdings were the epitome of desire, and it all stemmed from his relationship to God. But Job became a test study in motivation when Satan proposed that Job serve the Lord because it brought great dividends such as great wealth. God permitted these externals to be removed so Satan could see and the world could see that Job served the Lord from a good motivation. It was not because of what he had. It's because of what he had in the Lord. In quick succession, blows of adversity hit Job. An Arab tribe stole his cattle. A storm destroyed his sheep and goats. The Chaldeans carried off his camels. A hurricane killed all his children. The most highly prized blessing which Job had was his ten children. They are all suddenly killed as the debris of the house fell on them. No doubt there were many servants also, but no mention is made of the servants that were killed in the house with the children. What greater catastrophic blow could augment the loss of Job's possessions than his children? They are gone and gone with them would be any hope of posterity. What we didn't see in this first chapter is that after all of this had occurred, Job also lost his health. In all these losses, though Job never lost his faith in the Lord. After all the calamity, Job set about expressing his praise and submission and devotion to God. The story of Job baffles people. Why did Job deserve those tragedies? Didn't it pay for him to do good? Job is attacked on the level of prosperity. Four swift, decisive actions remove all of Job's possessions as enumerated in chapter 1. The adversary, Satan, boasted that the removal of all that he has would call forth from Job a renunciation of God because what Satan didn't understand is that Job's relationship transcended anything that this world had to offer. Numerous circumstances puzzle our minds. Observing some of life's situations brings questions to our minds. Why does a child suffer from a brain defect? Why is a young wife and mother killed by a drunk driver? Why is a young physician beginning an exciting career in surgery stricken with leukemia? Why is it that a hurricane can roar ashore in a place like Texas and destroy the lives of millions? These and numerous other questions baffle our minds and prompt us to ask why. The circumstances of life bring baffling questions. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have the same questions as well, don't we? Fortunately, the book of Job 
gives us some insight. The world's thinkers have inadequate answers. A man sat down to supper with his family and said grace, thanking God for the food, for the hands which prepared it, and for the source of all life. But during the meal, he complained about the freshness of the bread, the bitterness of the coffee, and the sharpness of the cheese. His young daughter questioned him, Dad, do you think God heard the grace today? He answered confidently, of course. Then she asked him, do you think God heard what you said about the coffee, the cheese, and the bread? Not so confidently, he answered, why, yes, I believe so. The little girl concluded, then which do you think God believed, Dad? The man was suddenly aware that his mealtime prayer had become a rote, thoughtless habit rather than an attentive and honest conversation with God. By not concentrating on that most important conversation, he had left the door open to let hypocrisy sneak in. And my fear is for the church today and for the people of the church that we go through the motions expecting things to happen and God is no longer listening to us. Because we're not doing it With the right motivation. Job was not this way. Job was so concerned about pleasing God. That we see in this first chapter. What did he do? He even made sacrifices for each of his children. For fear that they had cursed God unknowingly. It's as if Job thought all along. That what he had could be taken away. The friends of Job did not help with his dilemma. If you read on through the book of Job, three friends of Job, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, heard of Job's problems and came to visit him. They were shocked when they saw Job. They sat with him in silence for seven days and seven nights. Perhaps the silence provided their best comfort to Job because when they opened their mouths, things changed. When the friends finally spoke, they ceased to comfort Job. Rather, they proposed to have the answer to Job's suffering. They said Job suffered because of sin. If he would admit and confess the sin in his life, his suffering would cease. Later, another friend, a young man named Elihu, came to visit Job. His proposal was simple. Job's suffering was given by God to refine his character like gold in the fire. Thus, none of Job's four friends provided provided an adequate answer for his suffering. Job's friends were more interested in their pious attempts to uphold their theological view about suffering rather than to comfort Job or uphold God. There's always people that seem to have the answer for our suffering, don't they? There's always people that can say unapologetically, the reason you are suffering is because you brought it on yourself. Job's friends were just those kinds of friends. It was better the seven days that they were quiet. Wouldn't you believe that? Because when they opened their mouths, all they were doing was trying to justify why they were not in the same position as Job. Life's problems do not have easy answers. Not every circumstance of suffering can be attributed to sin. You remember Jesus' observation of the man born blind in John chapter 9? Remember the disciples were just like Job's friends. When they saw him, they said, who sinned, this man or his 
parents that he's in the condition that he's in. And what did Jesus respond and say? Neither. This man was put here at this time so that you could see the glory of God. As I look at the troubling reports coming out of Houston and the surrounding area, I was struck by two things that I saw. One was a man who was helping a family, a group of people around the home with whatever needed to be done, and they were thanking him profusely and over and over, and he said, don't thank me, thank the Lord. I am only but his hands and his feet. And then occasionally you would see a circle of people gathered around and people were praying. In the midst of the suffering, can't you see God? Even in the suffering, God is there. Furthermore, God does not give trouble only for the purpose of developing character. God may use trouble to develop character, but not every case of suffering can be attributed to this purpose. There are no easy answers to the baffling problems of life. Simple formulas will not fit some of life's circumstances. Yet the book of Job does not end in question. It ends with another insight. And that insight lies in the word that the Lord has for us. The help for Job's suffering comes with a word from God. In verse 38, or chapter 38, verse 1, we read, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Out of the chaos that is life, out of the chaos that was the life of Job at the time, God had a word for him. God did not appear in order to take away Job's sufferings. Rather, he came to be with Job. To teach Job some lessons on knowledge, the Lord interrogated him, asking hard questions. Were you present at creation? Did you make the sea? Did you ever cause a sunrise? Can you explain rain? Scientifically, we can explain some of those things today, but isn't it interesting that if it dries up, we can't make it rain? God knew that Job could not ignore these questions. Job needed to see the might of God and the inadequacy of human beings. Do you see another picture in this story? Can you see the gospel? Can you see how that God sent his son to show us that we need him in the midst of our sufferings? That the sufferings of life can be overcome with a relationship with God? Job has received no direct answers to his questions and he has been unable to answer the questions of God. One might dismiss the dialogue with God as futile and Job's surrender is indicative of a lack of courage. Job is never thought, though accused, of a cowardice and God does not rebuke his fortitude. It is an unwarranted slur on Job to indict him for doing what every person must do when he confronts God. Is the acceptance of the comfort of the divine presence a lack of fortitude? In reality, it is the humility of a strong man who has passed through discipline to discipleship. 
Job offers more to us in our understanding of suffering than any human ever could. You see, Job recognizes something that it would do for us to recognize. In order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. The Lord speaks to us amid life's baffling circumstances. What does the Lord say? Does he tell us the intellectual reasons for our suffering? No, he does not give us answers. Instead, the Lord gives us adequacy, the adequacy of his presence. We must be willing for trust in the Lord to take over when we are confronted by situations we cannot understand. Rufus Jones lost a son of 11 years who was all the world to him. He wrote many years later about the experience, concluding with this luminous parable of how his own heart was open to God's love. When my sorrow was at its most acute, he says, I was walking along a great city highway when suddenly I saw a little child come out of a great gate which swung to and fastened behind her. She wanted to go to her home behind the gate, but it would not open. She pounded in vain with her little fist. She rattled the gate. Then she wailed as though her heart would break. The cry brought the mother. She caught the child in her arms and kissed away the tears. Didn't you know I would come? It's all right now. All of a sudden I saw with my spirit that there was love behind my shut gate, he said. If you suffer with God, you will find love behind your shut gate. A love that can lead you through the gate to be at home with all the children of God. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked will I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you see? What a person needs amid life's baffling situations is not intellectual answer. But the presence of the Lord. Remember the disciples when they were crossing the water and the storm blew up. And Jesus came to them walking on the water. What brought peace to them? His presence. His presence. That makes all the difference in all of life's trials and tribulations and struggles. It's the presence of God. Never forget it. When people are suffering in the hospital and you show up on behalf of the Lord, on behalf of his church, it makes a difference to people because in that they sense the presence of God. God suffers right along with us. He walks with us in the valley of the shadow of death. He is there. Why not let the Lord come into your life? Shall we pray?
Oh God, we thank you for your servant Job. You have shown us through him the power of your presence. We pray, Father, that we might feel your presence in those times and in all time. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our closing hymn is number 412, The Savior is Waiting. The Savior is always waiting for us to show us the way to walk beside us. The invitation is always open to anyone who would come to the Lord. He will walk with you, whatever your trial, as we stand and sing. In the newsletter last week and also on our website, we placed um, information for you related to uh, disaster relief for Hurricane Harvey, and I wanted to remind you of that. Um, we will uh, contribute anything that you give uh, to the uh, Virginia Baptist Mission Board, who uh, already so they have been called out to go down, and they're working with Texas Baptist Convention and other entities down there, Red Cross and so forth, in that area. And I know that when we sit back and we see these things occur, we wonder, you know, we feel so powerless and helpless. But if you'd like to give, I'm not asking you to give. If you'd like to give and you want to give through the church, just make sure if you make the church uh, the check out to the church that you put in the in the memo line. Um, hurricane relief and we will make sure it gets there. The reason that I always recommend the General Association 
and the mission board is because every dollar you give goes to disaster relief. And the reason for that is we pay for the infrastructure through our regular giving. So uh, any do- you know, every dollar you give goes directly to support that, whereas with some of the organizations, you know, they have to take an administrative fee off the top. So not every dollar that you give, the whole dollar doesn't get there. So that was the reason for that. So I just wanted to remind you of that and let you know what was going on there with that. Also, this is Benevolence Sunday. And uh, there will be deacons at the door to receive your benevolence offering, as is our custom, to take up the first Sunday of every month to help people uh, who are in need in Mechanicsville. So I wanted to make you aware of that as well. And don't forget about the church cleanup day on the 16th. We'll, we'll announce it often. Uh, I won't be here for the cleanup day. They set the cleanup day, and I told them when they set the cleanup day that that was the day that my son was getting married. So I won't be here on the 16th because I'll be at a wedding, um, an hour away from here. Um, so uh, anyway, just one, don't think I'm sitting at home and I told him the first with my feet up while you're down here working. Uh, that will be an emotional roller coaster day for me as Josh uh, gets uh, married. So I want to make you aware of that as well. Also, the um, um, survey. If you, you saw a copy of the survey in your bulletin, if you would like, you can bring that back by the office. You can leave it on the table out here, and we'll make sure that the team gets a hold of that as well. I think that's all I needed to let you know. Okay, let's bow for benediction. Gracious Lord, as we depart on this day that you've given to us, we are thankful for the love shown to us through Christ. We're thankful for his presence in our life. We're thankful that you are there all the time. We are thankful for your grace, for your mercy, and for your love that redeems us and gives us hope now and in eternity. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.